Patreon is live, and I've spent the last week setting up rewards and the like, so I haven't spent any time advertising it. Right now, rewards include early access to episodes a whole week early, the potential to help select future pantheons for future seasons of Goddessy, hopefully that happens, and access to Q&As, bonus episodes in private discords and Facebook groups. Link is in the description if you're interested. Goddessy is free, it will always be free, and that's that, but any support helps. Also, feel free to seek me out on social media. So far, Mythology Monday has been super helpful, but I'd love to hear from people. So drop by, say hi, and stay for a chat. All right, so do that. Good. We're good? Good. Where were we? Lu, taken from the battlefield between the Fearbolg and Tuatha Dé Danann, was taken to his foster father, Mananan McLear, Lord of Tirnanog. Over a matter of days, he was taught lessons that might take years and while there, discovered that his people had defeated the Fearbulk in battle. Longing to return, he was gifted Fragrak, Mananan's sword, his steed, Unbad, of the flowing mane, and his silver greyhound, Felinus, whose skin metal cannot pierce. Lou returns now to Ireland, uncertain, for while days have passed for him, years have passed there. Welcome to Goddessy. Episode 5, Banner of the One-Eyed King. Not far from the shore was an outcropping of rocks, built into the gray earth that rose like standing stones from a pit. Within the pit was a fire, upon which a pig cooked on a wooden spit. Three youths maintained it, while four men chatted and laughed, making lewd comments and jokes at the expense of one another's spouses. The smell was terrible, like decay and death, and the sight ungainly. It was here that Lou found them, mounted upon the back of Inbar, the stallion with the flowing mane like clouds. The ride had been hard. He flowed in and out of consciousness as they rode, leaving behind the towering spires of Tirnanog. He had seen faces in the fog and waves, watching him and following him as Inbar ran across the surface of the water. They laughed and grimaced and smiled and cried, speaking in tongues far older than Lou's own. With every gallop of hoof and mist, he felt himself grow more and more tired, as if he had not slept in ages. Not far behind was the silver hound, Felinus, his first still shining, yet seeming more corporeal the further from home he rode. He remembered little of Tirnanog now, save the face of Mananan, who had taught him many things. The rest of the hosts of the Land of Youth were lost to him, their faces misshapen by memory or magic. He knew that Yakut and his sons had been there, but he could no longer see their faces, their mistrust of him. Tirnanog was beyond him, a dream beyond time. But the shores he returned to were not the green hills he expected. As the mist faded and the western shore came into view, he saw only gray and black, like winter, when instead summer should rain. It looked as though fire had been placed upon the land, and deep cuts running like veins had been dug, going in no particular direction. He thought he might ride further north or south to get a better sense of where he was, but upon seeing the fire of an encampment, he rode to see who had made it. And upon arrival, he saw their banners, a piece of leather upon which a great white eye had been painted. The banner of the one-eyed king, Balor's men. Hail, bannerman, he said, not recognizing his own voice. Deeper, fuller, almost a man's voice. They had not noticed him. They jerked as one, as if muscles pulled by the same spasm. Their movements, as they came closer, were uneven, reaching for wooden spears. None of them were what he expected. Where were the giants he had been warned about? They seemed so small to him, misshapen, certainly no taller than an old man, 
his back bent with age. They wore no armor and barely any clothes, the dirt upon their bodies making them darker than even the fearborn. Their eyes were small things, glistening in the shady day's failing light. The one who came closest was a wiry man of skin and bones, his beard full of rotten food. A fine horse you have there. How much to part with it? Lou smiled. I wouldn't part with my foster father's horse for all the gold and Tara. I have questions. I would not mind you answering them. They said nothing to him, all now armed. Lou felt nervous, but sure of himself. He had learned much in the past few days. Menenin's words came back to him. A sword arm is only as strong as the trust placed in it. Confidence, lad, or you'll lose your legs. I'm a far traveler come to these shores. Who reigns here? And for how long? And what season is this? Some of the younger men laughed, but the eldest spoke, his smile a yellow thing turning brown. You are in the realm of Brez, king of Ireland, who has reigned justly for the past seven years. The laughter among the men was not kind. Seven years? That seemed unlikely. Menanin said time would pass differently, but Lou did not think it would be that differently. And how long ago did Nawada rule these lands? Nawada one hand has never ruled these lands. He gave up his throne upon defeating the fearthy Fearbold, and the throne fell to Brez. The old man spat. Where come ye from? Across the sea from Albion? Lou thought for a moment, smiling again. The shores of the river Danube is the land of my forefathers, though we are wide travelers. I come here seeking an answer to a riddle. He reached out and pointed to the banner. Is that the banner of your king, of Brez? More laughter. One of the younger men, his hair red, spoke instead. It is of the one true ruler, Balor's evil eye. Balor of the evil eye, hmm? And you serve someone who wears evil so freely? Does he swear filthy to Brez or oppose him? The two have treated, and Brez has allowed our people to settle these lands, answered the older man, glaring at the younger fellow who looked away. Silence fell. Lou's mind raced. Nawada had never taken the throne at Tara. When last Lou had seen him, he had two perfectly working hands. He recalled the laws Yakid had enforced. A king must be unblemished. Had he lost his hand in combat with Yakid? Lou understood the decorum behind it, but felt it unjust. As for Brez, he knew nothing of the man. What he did know was that no one at the meeting between Nawada and Yakit had mentioned treating with the Fomorians. He thought of his foster mother. Tell me, what has become of Taltu, Queen of the Fearbold? That witch, replied the old man. She wanders the hills, using her magics to try and revive the green that should grow. No luck. So long as Balor lives, no green shall grow on these shores. So it seems, so it seems. Lou noticed that the men had begun fanning out, as if to prevent him from escaping. Looking at the banner of Balor once more, he noticed that at its foot were a number of skulls. Animal, mostly, but among them the skulls of men and women and children. Tell me, were I to ask for hospitality at your fire, would I walk freely away from it, come morn? You would not take hospitably to our fire, far traveler, for you would walk no more. We will have that horse, and that pretty sword. Lou smiled, placing a hand on its wooden hilt. Oh, it is a pretty thing, isn't it? Would you like to see it? He drew it, drawing the ire of each of the seven men. 
Throwing his leg over the saddle, he landed sooner than he expected. It was then he realized he was taller, and his clothes fit. He slapped Imbar's flank, sending the horse away. Felinus remained, growling, his fur curled by the salty air. This is the sword Fragarak, the answer. I wonder, will you answer? He pointed the blade at the old man. Did you eat the last man who stayed here with you? The man smiled. Yes. Horror filled the faces of each of the other men that the old man had told. They moved like spiders, surrounding him. And would you eat me? The old man continued to smile, his browning teeth like fangs. Yes. He had one final question. Will your people keep the peace with the Tuatha We will not. Above them, a trio of ravens began to circle, expectant of carrion and a gory outcome. Lou lowered his sword. The man's smile faded and became a roaring grimace. Thank you for your honesty. Now, if you want your lunch, come and claim it. Careful, it may bite. Trained in swordplay though he was, Lou knew it was not the way to start a fight. He drew his breath and felt the land, the magic that came from it, deep under the blackened topsoil. The lifeblood of the land was only suppressed, not destroyed. Remembering the lesson to Taltu and Mananin, he drew it upon him and lifting up a leg, slammed it back down, sending a shockwave through the ground to each of the men, thundering and cracking the dusty earth. Each of the men fell, falling back with a crack, and it was then that Lou and the Hound Felinus struck. He did not wait for them to rise. Coming to the old man first, he waited for the man to look at him before he slashed the man from chest to neck, sundering bone from muscle and sending blood upon the great plain. Lou had slain two more before the other four were able to rise, their spears at the ready, but Lou liked those odds much better. The last of the old men rose as Felinus was upon him, crying out as he rammed the spear into its shoulder. Lou almost cried out, watching as the spear shattered, but saw the blunted bronze tip had left no mark. The dog, undeterred as it rose, knocking the old man to the ground and quickly removing the lump in his throat from its spot there. All that remained were the young men who faltered. What good is a snack if you have not earned it? Come now, you look as though you've seen a host of fair folk before you. The ravens above cawed impatiently. Two of them came at once, and Lou lost his firm footing. Dancing backwards, dodging from side to side, he batted away the spears, but could not find a decent chop to bring them down, though his blows certainly more than enough. Each one seemed to throw the full force of the youth's body with it, causing them to put more effort into their thrust. They wore out much more quickly, and as gangly as they were, Lou was using that to his advantage. The environment seemed not to factor into their fighting. It was as if they only thought of their thrust and the hope for contact. Lou's skill was fine, but his mind worked much more quickly than theirs, and it showed. Finally, he pulled one's momentum too far forward, twisting on his heel and bringing the blade down, removing both hands at the wrist from one of the, his opponents. He twisted again and slammed the ovular bronze end of his hilt into the youth's throat, sending him gurgling and screaming back to the ground. The loss of his friend caused the second to scream, backing away, only to fall forward, the massive paws of Felinus pushing him down, his silver teeth stained red with the blood of his first victim. His paws ripped flesh like a knife and cheese, his teeth removing sections of shoulder and neck. Lou looked away, expecting to be less horrified by his new hound, and then returned to the first youth, driving his blade into the heart as a mercy. 
that left only the last, the youth who had spoken before. Lou turned to him, pointing Fragrag at him. Brushing away the blood from his forehead, he moved closer. The youth was frozen in fear, gripping his spear as if it offered any protection. Full of energy and vigor, Lou realized he had killed someone for the first time. For someone so far. That required reflection. Did he need to add another? You tell me what I need to know, I let you walk from here. Do you understand? The youth let his spear drop, sobbing. King Brez, is he in alliance with Balor? The youth nodded. His father is one of Balor's bannermen. Brez is Fomorian? Half, said the youth. His mother is Tuathadidanan. Like me, thought Lou. What has become of the Tuathadidanan? The youth paused and answered. Their leaders enslaved, the rest work to the bone to give us food and resources. They work in the mines, they make our roads. Ogma builds the great forts and the Dagda makes great rings of power. And Nuwata? What of King Nuwata? Another voice answered from the pit behind him. Nuwata lives, Lu, son of Kian. Lu turned quickly, realizing that there were eight, not seven, Fomorians. What stood before him he did not expect, nor how close she was. The woman was almost old, yet almost young. She had some kind of power somewhere in between. Covered in blackened gore and viscera, she was a sight to behold and wore a cloak of black feathers and nothing else. Lou had seen her before as he was taken by Virog from the battlefield not a few days before. No, seven years hence. On her head was a crown made of skulls of crows. Her fingers were like talons, and she held a spear, utterly black in depth and color. Who are you? I am the truth, come to face you at last. You have returned to the land of the living, and no longer are you a boy. He did not respond and instead pointed his blade at her. She stood at the end of it, her eyes an emerald gleam that faded into a black center, endlessly descending deeper and deeper and deeper. Your coming was foretold, your actions are already known. What is not known is the outcome. Your choices make that. I gift you your next action. Find Agma, and then to Tara you must go. Seek your father. Seek Kian, son of Dianset, and your path to Asal will be clear. Who are you? he asked, trying not to feel indignant to her command, for how could he disobey them? A black smoke came from her cloak, and she moved faster than anything Lou had seen in his entire life. She passed through him, and came upon the youth with a scream, a scream that seemed to shatter sense and soul. Lou dropped his blade and grabbed his ears, falling to his knees. The youth that had been standing there was no more, replaced with red mist that turned black like ash, flying up into the air. The woman stood there, her face now drenched in blood around her mouth. She rubbed it, inhaling it off of her fingers, her eyes now black. She stepped forward. Behind him, the hound Felinus whimpered. Manana Maglir is a wise king, but this is not Tunanog, Lu, son of Kian. Our people will never be free until every last Fomorian is dead. Mercy has no place here. Prophecy must be fulfilled. Give your father's enemy justice. Find a song. Make Nuada whole. Face Balor. That is your path. That is foretold. You stray from the path, the very foundations of the earth will break and order will be broken. You know this. Your place is as the Lord of Lords, the law of all things, Lu Longarm. 
so, so I speak, speak so, so it is. The sky was a gray, terrible thing, but suddenly it filled with a great host of black crows, spiraling, spiraling downward like a torrent of wind and surrounding the woman. Suddenly within there were three women, a young woman, a pregnant woman, and a crone, each dressed in the same way. The woman who had been before him was a composite of the three. Three hands reached out from the storm of feathers, smearing the blood upon his face. Find Agmalu. And without so much as a caw, she was gone, the storm with her. Only a flurry of feathers that fell like snow was left, the bodies of the dead stripped to the bone. His face was warm, where the three hands had touched him. Lou had not realized it, but he was crying. Moving a tear away, he found blood instead of water. He stood, not wanting to be here a moment longer. His mind raced, filling in the gaps. The woman who was three, the feathers in the crown of bone, the screech of the dead, she was no mere woman. That had been the phantom queen, the Morrigan herself. And Lou had survived the encounter. More to the point, she had tasked him with a mission and marked him. He felt compelled. He had to do it now. But not before washing. Stripping as he walked, he saw Inbar waiting for him at the shore. He stepped into the water, realizing just how full-grown he was, and washed the blood from him. Felinus joined him in the water, barking and dancing after him. Lou let the waves embrace him as the weight of death and prophecy filled him full of terror and power. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, Motherface of the Morrigan. Music by Scott Buckley. Additional sounds by Tom C. 1985 and Tom Legia. We are on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. Check us out and drop a line, though no more carrier pigeons, please. If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon. Goddessy is a weekly podcast. See you next week.